Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. All right. Hello and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today, I'm so excited to talk to Marco Caracari about Blackout, his debut novel. Hello, Marco. Welcome. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. Fantastic to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm very excited. So a friend of mine always says that with a a screenplay, you've got to start with a bang. And your book certainly starts with a bang. (laughs) Want to give us a little setup about how we get into Blackout? Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, my protagonist, Franco DiMazzo, is a 40-something photographer in Manhattan, New York. And uh, he hooks up with a stranger to sort of um, brighten up his days a little bit. He's in a bit of a funk. He doesn't quite know where his life is going. And so he does literally pick the wrong nights to hook up with a stranger. And yes, it does start with a bang uh, when a stranger shows up uh, through, you know, one of the hookup apps. Um to make things easier, they smoke a joint, but Franco's unaware that the joint is laced, so uh, he has quite the reaction. He doesn't do drugs usually, and of course, that's the moment when he witnesses a brutal crime across the street. It's, um, it is one of those things that, you know, sometimes when you, you've relaxed yourself, whether you have a drink or smoke or what have you, and then something happens, you sort of oftentimes question exactly what you saw or what, you know, what happens. And in, it was such a perfect setup because it gets us into knowing Franco, but also seeing his vulnerability right off the bat. I mean, he's, he's successful, he's fun, he's a fun character, but yet it puts doubt into his mind about what he's seen and what he's done. Right, and then, yes. And then there's a flashback to actually a blackout. Um, True, yes. Describe yes. that for us. Uh, well, without giving too much away because it's on the back of the book. <laughs> 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 uh, Franco has a very strange night. And of course, by the time the police show up, not only does he find out he lost about an hour of his memory, but um, he makes for a most unreliable witness uh, because they can't find a body. They can't find a crime scene. They think he's nuts. And even though he's pretty sure he's seen exactly what he says he's seen, um, he wasn't quite there. So, you know, he starts to question his, his own sanity a little bit. Um, but he does remember stuff. And uh, days later, when the cops finally do find a body, and it turns out that Franco knew the person, then, of course, he goes from unreliable witness to prime suspect because current events are tied to the 40-year-old murder of his uh, dad, his father, who was a cop and who was killed uh, right before the New York City blackout of 77 hit when Franco was about four years old. And so it brings up a lot of memories, unfortunately, uh, a lot of the guilt that he's had as a as a child, as a teenager and a grown up person trying to deal with those last moments of losing his dad and what he did or didn't do as a four year old. Um, That kind of comes reeling back. And so, uh, yeah, he has to basically a, find out what happened, and uh, B, also find out that maybe for the last 40 years, not everything was exactly as he remembered. 
<laughs> you know, one of the things that this book has a lot of, and it is something that I was very cognizant of reading, is secrets and lies and history, especially when you're talking about a 40-year uh, time span. You know, we, um, we remember things when it happens, and then as time goes on, things shift in our lives, in our mind, in our memory. And that's something that uh, you bring out really well in the book because, you know, everyone remembers something, but of course our experience does sort of shape how we remember the past. And if, um, was that easy writing? Because you do switch between 40 years earlier and 40 years later. Was that difficult? Did you find it easy, exciting to write that? Uh, it, yes and yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was difficult and easy depending on what I was writing. And it was a lot of fun. I love the 70s. Anybody who knows me will tell you that. Uh, my music tastes, some of my movie tastes, uh, TV shows, all that sort of stuff. I am a child of the 70s. I was born in 68. So uh, even though I lived in Switzerland and lived a very, very different life than probably most people here in America, uh, just by how things worked uh, and what you were facing, like we never really had, or I felt growing up, we never really had a lot of the issues or the downturn economy, like a lot of the major cities in the, in the USA had during those times. And so I really knew nothing about that until I was much, much older. And uh, my life was very protected in that sense. Uh, mm -hmm. Small, idyllic town by the Lake of Constance in Switzerland. I mean, it doesn't get much more, you know, <laughs> Swiss than that. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, there was a lot of research involved. Uh, but I've always been fascinated with that. Like whenever, you know, I remember watching my first shows on television, which we always got a year or two later because they had to dub them into German first. So like Charlie's Angel, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Vegas, uh, Rockford Files, you know, all these things happened um, usually a little later and then they were dubbed, but you got a way of life, whether it was mm -hmm. New York or LA or anywhere else. And it fascinated me. So um, by the time I started writing Blackout, uh, which at the time actually was called Full Circle, I may still write a book one day that's called Full Circle. Um, I knew a lot. I'd read hundreds, if not thousands of crime thrillers and, and, and mysteries and books and stuff. And I was trying to sort of, you know, pull from what I'd read from other mm -hmm. favorite authors. But uh, ultimately, I had to make it my own story and, and make sure that it works for what I wanted to do and what was important for me. So it was kind of fun to go back to the 70s, but I also had to be careful that I wasn't suddenly giving people a history lesson. Um, as fascinating as it is to me, uh, Franco lived through that stuff. So basically there would be a snippet here and a snippet there, but you don't go page after page after page and tell people about it. I figured if someone really wants to know about the 77 blackout, they'll go and look it up themselves because it is a fascinating and tragic time because yes. other blackouts have happened fairly, you know, they went by peacefully when uh, the 77 blackout definitely did not. So it's um, it's fascinating to find the stuff that's out there, uh, the, the documentaries, the footage that exists from that time. So I had to sort of reel it back in every now and again and make sure that it's Franco's story and that you still hopefully get that feeling of what happened and maybe can, you know, uh, sort of uh, transport yourself into that time. Yes. And I, I think you did a great job with that because you didn't Thank you. you didn't stay in it. You know, it, it, it is a part of the story. 
I think my first time going to New York was 1981. And while it wasn't 77, I can I can assure anyone listening when you describe the alphabets, uh, you know, A, B, C and D, it is it was a very different world then than it is now. But you describe it simply as someone who would see it and then you move on. So it was a great it was a great reminder to me of what uh, New York has been like. It's uh, New York and Los Angeles, I think, almost always become a secondary character in a well-written story. And I think that's exactly what New York does in this instance. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, that was that was a big fear. I mean, I used to be a flight attendant. So between that and my personal trips, I've been to New York over 200 times in the last. Oh, wow. Lots of trips for work, obviously. And then Mm -hmm. uh, by myself, because I I just love the city. I always enjoy being there. And I spent weeks and months there at a time, but never lived there. So it is a different story, you know, and a different experience if you live there and you go through all that. But I have friends who did uh, in the 70s or 80s or 90s. And you, you know, have to talk to them and get your get your your little tidbits here and there and then of course i have plenty of my own experiences uh running around into town uh at the time but it was one of my biggest worries for someone to go you don't know what the we're <laughs> talking about and uh it was kind of, it's nice to know that people who live there all their lives they were like you know there was just enough and it felt right and so that felt really good and I do agree with you. I think it was just enough. I, you know, when you talk about Franco's neighborhood, you, you know, in the West Village, um, without it being too specific on this exact building, it's a neighborhood in a feel. You know, there are there are restaurants in the West Village that have been there for years and years in a family, and you feel that with the restaurant Franco works in and the people that own it and his friends, you feel that camaraderie and that it still exists, but it's almost an old way of life, you know, back in the day type thing. And that was something that was very impressive. I enjoyed that a lot. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, it's unique to see who Franco runs into in his current life that is attached to someone from a past life. I think most people look at a city as large as New York and say, oh, well, you never run into people. I find that to be very different. I find that even in Los Angeles, I run into some of the same people or people who know people I already know. And this is a city of 10 million people. That's something that comes up in your book quite often. And it's it's something that's enjoyable to watch that um, flower open or onion peel or what have you. Was that that was that easy or difficult or Um, a lot of it? Honestly, I mean, a lot of it is actually my own life fictionalized to a certain extent. But I I traveled a lot. I got, you know, I was fortunate with my job as a flight attendant. I traveled a lot. I had a lot of experiences. Uh, I met a lot of people, made a lot of friends in the States. But I also lived in Zurich my most of my adult life. And while Zurich is a blip on the map and much, much smaller in many, many ways, it's still a large city for us. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you run into people that you haven't seen in forever and it's at the weirdest moment, but it just needed <laughs> to happen at that time. So, you know, life is crazy. And plus, I always said that uh, you could tell me a story with aliens and ghosts and say it happened in New York and I totally believe it. So <laughs> I, I kind of, it was, it worked, it worked well for me. And so, yeah, I took, 
some of my own experiences and filtered those into the book and the story and Franco. Also my struggles. I mean, I am still uh, a photographer. Hmm. I have been a photographer freelancer for almost 30 years now, about 30 years. And oh my God, I'm old. Yes, no. It's been <laughs> years. It's been you're not old. Years. I'm older than you. So you're truly <laughs> not old. <laughs> and so um, it's, you know, uh, you, you get, to experience a lot of stuff. And I had, I had a great time uh, doing my thing, but I also struggled a lot. And Zurich uh, is an expensive town. Switzerland is an expensive country. Uh, it was tough to make it as a photographer. And I was never super successful, but I did well enough. Mm -hmm. um, I had good jobs here and there. And I wanted the same for Franco. I wanted the struggles. And what happens to him living in a building that he could never afford, but having two landlords who just wanted the right people is what happened to me in Zurich. I, had, I met these two really great uh, gentlemen who uh, had a home. Big house, big house, uh, turn of the century, last century. And they uh, said, we want this to be a queer house. So we want queer neighbors who, who fit the building. And I fit the building. And I paid half of what anybody else in a normal situation would have paid and lived there for seven years. It was amazing. So I wanted him to have a little bit of fortune, like I did, but also struggle and barely make ends meet. Hence, all the different jobs he's got to work <laughs> to keep the photography afloat. Well, and I think, I think that really mirrors really real life a lot more i think than say just having a character who is either on the top of the world or under the world so this is something you know i think in life we're fortunate or we can be fortunate when we find our tribe whatever that tribe is True. and have have that communal kind of spirit go on between uh, ourselves or characters in a book yes. as this is I did have a little bit of a laugh on Franco's, at, you know, Franco's expense. I kept thinking if he could possibly back into it, he's going to back into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he, he backs into a lot of stuff. He has a, run, a mouth that tends to run uh, sometimes without you know, thought or the thought is running alongside, but it hasn't quite caught up. And it's definitely an older me. I have learned to sit on my mouth every now and again. Uh, he also is not a carbon copy of me. He says a lot more stuff than I would have the guts to do, or he does more stuff than I have the guts to do, um, because the character needs to be the character. Yes. No matter who you uh, base them on, uh, they ultimately need to serve the story, I feel, and they need to do what works for the story, even if it's something I disagree with. I got frustrated mm -hmm. with him several times where I was like, what the would he do that? And then, <laughs> no, but it's he needs to do this for the story because it is a learning experience. And uh, we also hopefully understand why he is that way, because he, you know, there's a lot of stuff that went wrong in his life and, and a lot of guilt, uh, whether or not he couldn't have done anything really as a four year old. But your mind works in mysterious ways and your subconscious. So um, it kind of made sense for me. And I had maybe one or two readers come back to me and said, um, you know, I got really upset with Franco here. I got it, but I got upset with him. I wanted to smack him. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. well, you know, you got a feeling out of it. You still love the book. So it's a good thing. I'm happy. <laughs> I I totally agree. And I think as an author, that must be that must be very gratifying because you do want your character to have their own voice and to have their own navigation, good, bad, or indifferent. 
we humans are the exact same way. I mean, I have some friends that probably think sometimes I really wish Dan would shut his mouth, but you know, sometimes I get on a roll and conversely same with friends. And, you know, when I read a book, I don't necessarily, I want a character with flaws and edges and dimension to it. And that's certainly what Franco has in this. Uh, he certainly goes through the highs and the lows. He's pulled from uh, pillar to post, but I, I feel like he stays true to himself, which is a very nice thing to read. And as you earlier said, you find your tribe, and that was very much true for myself. Uh, and I wanted him to have that as well, to have a... Uh, a chosen family, uh, like a lot of us do in the LGBTQ community. Uh, some of us are fortunate to have great relationships with our blood family, and that's yes. fantastic, but a lot of us don't. And uh, you do, in general, uh, find your tribes, friends, you know, um, lovers, whatever. And I think that's very important because it is something that can help carry you along ultimately you're always yes. on your own you have to make your own decisions you're responsible for your own life i find but uh having a support or a, a reality check and my friends are brutal uh <laughs> my friends are ruthless. they're all italians uh, right. like in the book so they're all southern uh, south italian um people living in switzerland and uh yeah they do not take prisoners so it's a good thing. <laughs> reality checks all the time and it's necessary i i like that i prefer the straight approach so we grow much better that way rather than being sprinkled with bullshit so you know it's much better when someone's very direct with us it, it certainly is a opportunity for growth that's for sure yeah, so yeah. I just I enjoyed the red herrings as well, because there were some of those in the book where, you know, we had opportunities to view characters in different lights, depending on where their story was. That was very interesting to me. It's I, once again, I'll congratulate you because I think it's Thank difficult you. to navigate those when a character makes a shift. Uh, it can't, it's not always easy, but you did really well at that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Was there one character you really wanted to kill off and didn't? Uh, mm, well, let's put it this way. Uh, <laughs> yes and no. Uh, okay. There are some characters that are no longer in the final version because mm. I started writing this book um, almost 10 years ago, originally, first draft, okay. uh, as, as a dare to myself. And then didn't really do much with it for several years and then started going to writing uh, conferences and writing classes, uh, got better, started editing, started moving, shifting stuff around. And it wasn't really until about four years ago, I think, four, about four years ago, where I seriously started considering um, submitting it and then actually went through submitting. I went to Thriller Fest, had a really great experience at Thriller Fest where I pitched to agents and um smaller publishers and uh everybody requested a manuscript which is fantastic so i had seven yeah. but you know but then comes the other you know the other shoe comes so seven requests uh for manuscripts and then seven uh rejections uh mm -hmm. nice ones so it's not like oh my god this is shit but they were like <laughs> uh, we, we like what you're doing we like your tone and your style and please submit again but it's not right for us and i wanted someone who was excited about the book so another year later uh a publisher 
did reach out and said, hey, we loved what you sent us. Uh, they never published uh, anything LGBTQ before. And I don't see my book as LGBTQ. I mean, obviously I it has queer characters in it, but I always wanted it to be a mystery with th thriller elements first. And it's not a coming out. It's not the RK characters in it. It's a way of life. It's an experience, but mm. I wanted it to be a, be a mystery. Uh, first, and I think everything else I have written since and I'm working on now is always either a thriller first, a mystery first, because that's the genre I love most. I just never really saw myself reflected in a lot of the books I love reading. Um, there are some fantastic queer authors out there who have obviously do a fantastic job uh, with what they're doing. Uh, I love them and I've read almost all of them, I think, but uh, a lot of the people I'm very drawn to are the thriller and noir writers that are straight and therefore have mostly straight characters in them. And I kind of wanted to marry the two a little bit more where you have a book that might be a bit more gritty, um, but has queer characters in it. And it's just, it's just there. I don't want to just write for a audience, a specific audience. I want, I want to write for everyone. Not, not everybody's going to enjoy it. I know that, but the, the goal would be to appeal to a broader audience. And the nice thing is by going to all these conferences, even, um, the one we met at, uh, at the end, most of the people who bought my book were straight. And I love that. I think it's, it's fantastic. Most of the people who actually come up to me and said, hey, uh, we heard you talk or we heard about you. Uh, we bought your book or we, we read your book and we loved it. Uh, that means a lot to me because it means you want to read a good story. And if my book is a good story to you, that's fantastic. And if it didn't turn you off that there were queer characters in it or you supported it even better, um, I just, you know, it's sort of that balance that I'm looking for. I agree with you. I think, you know, if you're writing a queer love story between two queer characters, that becomes very important that the Absolutely. book is about that. But if you're writing a mystery or a thriller, you're writing about characters and who they are and where they are on the spectrum, in my estimation, should be a lot less unless the specific story is about something happening in a queer setting to queer people. Then it becomes very different. But I think what you've done is you've you've just given us characters who are simply on a spectrum of wherever they are. And that makes for good reading, in my estimation. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you've had other um, writers that you talked to. I don't know if you've talked to Robin Geigel before, but I know Dharma Keller. Uh, that is different because clearly that is an aspect that needs to be, because there is so little in crime fiction with transgender, uh, you need to highlight that differently. Yes. I'm not yeah. the person to do that. And so I'm, I'm very happy that people are getting the voice to talk and people finally get to uh, write about their experiences because they're important and they are fantastic writers and they write fantastic stories uh, with kick-ass heroines. And uh, the, the world needs to find out about it. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be hanging. So. Precisely. I totally agree. Are you, work <laughs> are you working on anything specific now? I'm working on two specifics now. Uh, I got stuck with one book last year. Um, I just need to figure out the end. Um, I'm writing my very first thriller. That's like the absolute thriller. It's just pow, 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 pow. And it takes place in Puerto Vallarta. Um, an American who becomes the prime suspect in a murder he did not commit, but everything points to him because it could not have gone worse <laughs> prior to the murder. Uh, so he's really indicated and he goes on the run from the police hiding out in a town he knows nothing about. He's never been there before. 
Um, and that's been a lot of fun to write. Uh, I'm sort of rethinking the ending and that's where I got stuck. So in the meanwhile, in the meantime, I started writing a very new thing, my very first noir inspired um, private and reluctant private investigator, hopefully series uh, set here in Palm Springs, which I hoped would be easier to write since I live here. And um, it's a it's a story of a um, kind of low level criminal, if you will, who is trying to be good, but has to do bad things to kind of not get killed, uh, first of all, and sort of rediscover who he is as a person. And he does it in Palm Springs. And um, it's been a lot of fun to write, but it was also kind of, or it is fun to write. I'm about halfway through. Uh, I'm very excited about this one because I find it is very different from what I've done before. Uh, the character is very different from anyone I've written before. And he really intrigues me, but I had to discover him. I've mm -hmm. never written criminals as a, even a lower end criminal or, mm -hmm. you know, not like a super bad guy but definitely someone who's done bad stuff in, in the past. And I realized I needed to set my moral, my standard for morals a lot lower and figure out what he would do and not what I would do because I'm like, no, that wouldn't work. And then I'm like, no, it would work because he would do X, Y, Z when I'd be like, no, 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 I can't do that. The cops are. <laughs> so it's tougher because I need to be in a darker place to write it. And I'm reading some fantastic people right now. I just started a book by uh, Bo Johnson and uh, my favorite new author that I discovered last year, my newest obsession is Jordan Harper, who's just absolutely brilliant and uh, very, very dark. I would never be that dark, but uh, it helps to kind of see their darkness where they are, uh, the underworld of the people that move, in a, you know, move about in gangs and stuff like that. It's very, very helpful to write this book and um, hopefully it'll get somewhere and then hopefully it'll find a publisher. And uh, I would love to share that book, both books with the world, but uh, I have some tidying up to do in the next three to six months. <laughs> I look forward to both of them. Do you have an email or social media you would like to share? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not a particularly private person, so you can find me with Marco Karakari, pretty much anywhere, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Hive. Um, <laughs> I engage wherever possible with people, always happy to hear from people, always happy to get feedbacks. I have an Amazon author page. You can find me there or on the Level Best page, my publisher. Um, so yeah, anywhere there, just type in my name, see below here. Okay, <laughs> perfect. So Precisely, precisely. Once again, the book is called Blackout, which I'll get it in the picture eventually. <laughs> <laughs> this will become the bane of my existence. I never know where it is. If I just put it in front of my face, I would get it right. So thank you so much, Marco, for chatting with me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you for inviting me. That was fantastic. And See happy new year. Happy new year to you as well. Hang on for me just a second. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.